0: Hello and welcome to Digital Insights featuring topics from the BoagWorld.com blog. My name is Paul Boag and on this podcast I offer advice on user experience and digital transformation. Today I want to dive into the world of conversion rate optimization because for many companies this is going to be the key to their online success. And in this podcast I want to give you a how-to guide to take you through the process of maximizing the effectiveness of your website to convert. Many organizations are dissatisfied with the effectiveness of their website, and so they try and improve things through a cycle of periodic redesigns, but this approach rarely works. Instead, companies need to instigate a program of ongoing conversion rate optimization designed to improve the performance of key metrics over time incrementally. In this podcast, I want to introduce you to the process of conversion rate optimization and set you on a path to improving the effectiveness of your website over the long term. That journey will include deciding what metrics you are going to seek to improve, discovering why people aren't converting, finding solutions that will improve conversion, and then testing and optimizing those solutions. But before we can undertake our conversion rate optimization, we first need to decide what conversion actually looks like. Finding the right metrics to monitor for conversion can be challenging if you're not running an e-commerce site. For example, if you run a service business and track people who contact you via an online form, you're going to end up missing out on people that picked up the phone or dropped you an email, even though those people actually visited your website. Even when you've got an e-commerce site, things are not always as straightforward as they first appear. For example, tracking the number of sales isn't much use if the products that you're selling and are performing really well have got razor-thin margins. How then do you decide what conversion metric to follow? Well, let's begin by looking at e-commerce sites. When considering conversion rate optimization in e-commerce, there are many metrics you should be tracking beyond the number of orders placed. These metrics include your sales, rate, uh, sales conversion rate, what percentage of those visiting your website go on to actually convert, and that will help you judge the persuasiveness and usability of your site. Then there's average order value. What's the average value a customer purchases on a single visit? That will help you evaluate your site's ability to upsell additional products to your customers. Then there's customer lifetime value. How much does the average customer spend on all of their purchases from your website? Their satisfaction with previous purchases will influence this metric. And it's worth paying attention to because repeat orders are more cost effective and often have a lower cost of sale. Then there's revenue by traffic. Which of your sources that drive traffic to your site generate the most return? For example, does the revenue generated from pay-per-click justify the amount that you spend on it? And then finally, there's customer acquisition costs. How much does it cost to win your average uh, sale? Raising your conversion rate is not enough if the cost of winning your sale is too high. So for an e-commerce site, this is all relatively straightforward. You want to focus on increasing conversion of high-profit products using traffic obtained through low-cost of acquisition channels. But things are more complicated when it comes to non-transactional sites. However, not all non-e-commerce sites are going to struggle to identify key performance indicators. For example, I work with a lot of charities where donations are a crucial metric that you need to track. However, even here, there are nuances that do make things a little bit more complicated than they first appear. For example, monthly donations are more valuable to a charity than one-off gifts, while legacy donations are more valuable still. That said, for most non-e-commerce sites, knowing what to monitor can be a tricky exercise and one that is impossible to make watertight, if I'm honest. But that doesn't make conversion rate optimization impossible for these sites. Tracking actions like contact form submissions, downloads, or newsletter sign-ups are not going to give you a complete picture of a site's effectiveness. However, generally speaking, tracking something is better than tracking nothing at all. The key is to ensure that you don't fixate completely on these metrics, but recognize that they're only a part of assessing your site. So what metrics can you track as a non-e-commerce site? Contact form submissions are an easy starting point, but you might want to have a dedicated phone number and email address on your website in case that people decide to contact you via those means, and then you can tie them back to the website itself. That way you're always going to know that the call or email originated on the site and so you can judge how well the site's doing. That works well for tracking leads, but it's not the only role that a website fulfills for a non-e-commerce site. Your site also it might exist to improve brand reputation or customer support. How do you track these things? Often it takes a little imagination to identify metrics you can track, but it is possible even though those metrics won't be perfect. For example, if your site exists to support customers, then you might want to track the rate at which customers get in touch with other channels, such as the phone. If people are using the phone less, then it probably means that the site is working well. You can, of course, survey users, and that works particularly well for knowledge bases on a customer support site. You can ask, did this page answer your question, and it will give you a good indication of the site's effectiveness. For sites that exist to improve brand perception, you can monitor the tone of social media mentions or the number of times users share website content. You can also track newsletter signups as this is a good gauge of the value people see in your site. In short, it takes a little imagination, but it is possible to find valuable metrics to track even if they're not perfect. An excellent place to start is your company strategy. Most companies have one and they tend to be full of a lot of lofty goals but lack detail. Take those lofty goals and apply them to your website. For example, a company goal to increase revenue may translate into generating more leads on your website. You can then turn that into a measurable uh, key performance indicator such as increased visits to the Contact Us page. A word of warning, however. If you track the wrong metrics and focus too obsessively on them, you can actually do more harm than good. For example, increasing contact form submissions is only useful for people uh, who are submitting those contact forms are the right kind of people. Get the wrong audience, make inquiries, um, and you merely end up creating a lot of work for your sales team to follow up on. Some argue that it's better not to track anything if you can't track the right um, metrics. And I kind of sympathize with this point of view. However, this often leads to a website and digital strategy that's directionless and left to the whims of internal politics and vanity projects. So it's better, in my opinion, to track something. That's why I recommend picking the best metric you can, but never forget the limitations. Be willing to revise the metric if it's not working for you, Uh, or if it's sending the website in the wrong direction. Don't become a slave to your key performance indicators, but instead use them as a compass to steer you in approximately the right direction. That is because once you have your metrics, you you will know what users want to do. And at that point, you can start to look at users who aren't doing that particular thing and work out why. Conversion rate optimization starts with a simple question. Why are people not converting? Finding the answer, however, is not straightforward and requires a combination of a systematic methodology and, to be honest, good instincts. That said, the following four steps are a good starting point. Steps that begin by asking yourself where the users are coming from. One possible reason for poor conversion is that some of the users coming to your website are just not the right kind of people. They might be looking for something other than what you offer or have different expectations of factors such as price. It's easy when assessing channels and campaigns to focus too heavily on the number of visitors who are driving to your site without really considering the quality of those visitors. Conversion optimization, on the other hand, cares about quality, not quantity. And in order to avoid this, it's worth looking at the conversion rates based on your referring channel. Um, for example, uh, users that you receive via search engines, referring websites, pay-per-click advertising, social media, banner advertising, or email marketing. Some of those channels may well be performing particularly poorly because the users aren't a good match for it. In fact, even within those broad categories, you may find fluctuations in conversion rates. For example, users arriving from one referring site um, may be considerably more uh, less more likely to convert than another, while alternatively, one pay-per-click campaign might be working better than another. Imagine, for example, that you run a web design agency specializing in enterprise-level websites. If one of your pay-per-click campaigns doesn't mention price, it might drive a lot of users, but those users will be expecting to get a website for maybe a few hundred dollars. An audience like that is extremely unlikely to convert and so lowers your overall conversion rate. If you can identify and drop these poorly performing channels or campaigns, you'll see an increase in your overall conversion rate, and that will also enable you to invest more heavily in the successful alternatives. If you don't find any particular weak channels or campaigns, then the problem may well lie with your website itself. So step two in conversion rate optimization is to look carefully at the journey users travel through on your website. If the conversion process involves multiple steps such as a checkout process, first look at any points within the process where users give up and abandon the site. If users seem to express an interest by starting the process and then quit it, it almost certainly means that there's a problem somewhere. You merely need to identify which points the user leaves. If that doesn't yield results or users never start the conversion process, then it's time to look out, look out for other dropout points. Do you see any patterns in when people are abandoning the site? Perhaps they all leave on the same page. If so, then the problem is obviously there. Um, Maybe they seem to be clicking around a lot, which might mean, ind- mean that they can't find the information they want. In that second scenario, take a look at what users are searching for on your site, and particularly the users who then fail to convert. What search terms are they using, and does that return decent results? Also look at what device or browser people are using. Do you see a lower conversion rate for one type of device or browser than another? Maybe the mobile experience is weak, or you've got a bug in a particular browser. Page performance speed is another thing that can impact conversion. So try looking at the average document interactive time. That is the average time in seconds that it takes for the browser to render a page so that users can interact with it. If you see that post page load time is impacting conversion, then you know you've got a problem and know what to do about it. Another approach is to look at those sessions who do convert. Are there any patterns of behavior that set them apart from the others? Do they visit a particular series of pages or do they skip a certain part of the site? Are there anything specific about the device or browser that they use? Now, I won't pretend it's easy to pick through all this data. It's as much instinct and hunches as anything else. You're not looking for definitive evidence that there's a problem. Instead, you're looking for clues about where you might go about looking for a problem. Because once you've got a likely suspect, you can use things like session recorders or usability testing to confirm your suspicions. With any luck, your analytics will point you in approximately the right direction, the right set of pages that need to be optimised. But analytics isn't particularly good at identifying what it is about the page that's causing the problem. Is it the copy? Is it the wording of the call to action button? Or your choice of imagery? It's almost impossible to tell with analytics. However, a session recorder can be a valuable tool in conversion rate optimization because it helps narrow the field further. Session recorders like Full Story or Hotjar track a user's behavior within a page, enabling you to see how they scroll, where their cursor moves, and what they click on, and even if they pause. You can access that information either by watching individual sessions play back as a video or collectively in some form of heat map. By comparing sessions that go on to convert and those that do not, you can quickly build up a sense of the different behavior on your suspect page and what might be a problem. Maybe you find that users are failing to convert because they skip over an essential call to action, while those who do act pause just that little bit longer to read a critical piece of text. Of course, even being able to watch a user encounter a problem on a page doesn't necessarily help you understand why it's a problem. For example, why didn't the user click on that button, or what was it about that piece of copy that put them off? For that, you need to run some usability testing. Strictly speaking, usability testing doesn't need to come after you've looked at session recorders. You could go from analytics straight to usability testing. But the advantage of session recorders is that you get a lot more data to use. Usability testing can be a bit time-consuming, and so we tend to test with fewer people. That said, usability testing is an essential component of conversion rate optimization, as it has the distinct advantage of being able to ask users why they behave in the way they did. That enables us to understand precisely what is working and what's failing. The analytics pointed us in the right direction while usability testing gets to the root of the problem. However, remember that usability testing is somewhat artificial. You're not going to be asking people to part with their own money or personal data. That will mean that they do behave differently. So we need to demonstrate some judgment as to how we interpret what we learn. That said, usability testing is invaluable in working out where in the sales funnel things are failing. Running usability testing isn't really very hard. It does require a bit of effort, but it doesn't require any special equipment or skills. And I have actually written an introduction to usability testing if you're interested in that. Through a combination of analytics, session recorders, and usability testing, you all have a good idea of what the problem is. But that doesn't mean you necessarily know how to fix it. How do you find the right solution to optimize your conversion rate? Conversion rate optimization involves the realization that you can undermine the conversion rate through a myriad of tiny ways. Little niggles that individually seem inconsequential become collectively very damaging and chip away at your conversion rate. That means working out how to optimize your conversion rate is Is very nuanced. It's a nuanced process born out as much out of experience and intuition as data. Even when you know the problem, finding a solution often involves a deep understanding of human behavior and design best practice. That said, I've found that the following four areas are almost always a good starting point for improving conversion. Number one is to match the user's mental model. Have you ever wondered why uh, tomatoes appear in the salad aisle of a supermarket, even when they're a fruit? Shouldn't they be placed alongside apples and oranges? Now, the reason is simple, and that's that it's not what people expect. That doesn't match their mental model of the world. We associate tomatoes with salad, and because we put them in salad. But we don't always share that same mental model. For example, a keen fisher might associate the word bank with river bank, while a shopkeeper might associate it with a financial institution. The idea that different people have different mental models is essential when it comes to conversion rate optimization because if we're not matching somebody's mental model, they're gonna have problems using our site. For example, maybe you've arranged your information architecture in a way that makes sense to you. That doesn't mean that it's gonna make sense to somebody else. And that will leave it hard for users to find the information that they need. You've metaphorically put the tomatoes um, with the fruit, at least in the minds of your users. Once you've grasped the importance of different mental models, then the need for usability testing becomes ever more apparent. You need to understand how your users perceive the world if you're going to create a site that they can effectively use and reach the point where they're ready to convert. Admittedly, users can struggle through on a site that doesn't match their mental model. However, it will reduce your conversion rate because it will increase their cognitive load. And that is the second point. We need to reduce cognitive load. In my experience, the number one reason for poor conversion rates is that a website makes people think too much. That is known as cognitive load and has become a significant problem in our digital world as users are bombarded with vast amounts of information they're expected to process. In a world with so many choices and too much information, people quickly feel overwhelmed and tend to give very little attention to each of their options. If your site isn't simple or requires them to think too much, then users typically move on to the next. How then do you create a sense of cognitive ease if it's so important for conversion rate optimization? Well, there's four areas that we can focus on. First, you can create a consistent familiar experience. People feel more at ease with activities with which they're familiar. If your site meets their expectations and behaves in a way that they have seen other websites work, then they're going to be more at ease. That also means your website has to be consistent with itself as well. Be sure to keep naming, navigation, and layout consistent. Failing to do so increases cognitive load and reduces conversion. The second area to consider is related to the first. If you want to reduce cognitive load, you need to ensure users are properly primed for the experience. Now, priming is a psychological term for our tendency to behave differently if we have certain mental associations. For example, people are more likely to buy French wine over German wine in a supermarket if French music is playing in the background. They've been primed to buy French wine. If we understand this tendency, we can subconsciously prepare users for what they need to do. Alternatively, the wrong prime can lead to the wrong conclusion and increase cognitive load. For example, if the imagery of the people on your website don't look like the user in terms of gender or ethnicity, you're priming people to think that your offering isn't really for them, it's for other people. Equally, if we make a call to action bright green, people are already primed to click on that, um, that kind of call to action because green is associated with the command to proceed. Okay, my third area is kind of obvious but worth a mention. If you want to reduce cognitive load, you need to provide a clear, simple user interface. The more elements on a page, the more mental effort they need um, to interpret what they're observing, and a busy interface is going to increase cognitive load and decrease conversion. There is a final thing that also affects cognitive load, and that's people's moods. You need to put people in a good mood. If people are happy and relaxed, cognitive processing flows more naturally and more importantly, feels easier. That's why design delighters and tone of voice are such vital factors in conversion. As uh, the website UI Patterns writes, consider playful microcopy a link to a fun video, or a gift to a, uh, of a compliment to a user. The mere discovery of an Easter egg, such as a coupon, virtual gift, or humorous image, will form a favorable and memorable impression. And that impression makes the website feel effortless. I can't overstate how important cognitive load is for conversion. Not only does it make the experience Feel fun, effortless, and familiar. It also increases the site's trustworthiness, which is an essential factor in conversion. And that brings us on to our third area for increasing your conversion rate, which is to build trust. Establishing trust with users is a key way of raising your conversion rate. People are hesitant to hand over money or personal information to a company that they distrust, That could be because of a lack of trust in your ability to deliver or merely a sense that you're trying to trick them or manipulate them. Unfortunately, users have learned to be cynical about companies' motivations. They've often encountered sites that seek to manipulate them through psychological techniques such as dark patterns. Methods that include things like artificial deadlines, limited availability or a fear of missing out. This psychological manipulation is increasingly popular in the field of conversion rate optimization because they will, in fact, work. There are many ways you can manipulate, coerce, and trick people into converting, but doing so comes at a cost. In a world where the average user has over 330 Facebook followers and the ability to post online reviews, an unhappy customer is a dangerous enemy. And when you bounce users into converting, they will suffer buyer's remorse. And that costs the company money in terms of negative PR and increased support calls. But more importantly, unhappy users quickly erode your reputation as a trustworthy brand. And that will impact your conversion rate over the long term. Consumers are not stupid. Yes, these techniques work on them on a subconscious level, but people are aware they're being manipulated, and it undermines the relationship that is so crucial to conversion. But building trust is not about avoiding best practice. There are also many positive steps you can take to build trust and to optimize your conversion rate. The design of your website is actually a crucial component to establishing trust. If a company is obviously invested in their website, then they probably pay the same attention to other parts of their service. A professional site is by default more trustworthy in the eyes of users. Social proof in the form of testimonials, reviews and recommendations also builds trust. Users can see that the company has others willing to vouch for them. Testimonials that link to social media is even more valuable because they are obviously real uh, people and not some fiction created by the company. Then there's awards and certification that provide a similar boost in perceived trust. That's because an independent third party is vouching for the reliability of your offering and company. Of course, the more well known that third party award is, the more powerful that source is going to be. A generous return policy or some other form of guarantee makes a big difference for trust as well. It demonstrates that you're confident in your offering and sure that people aren't going to turn around and return it. For example, Zappos built a thriving e-commerce site selling shoes on offering a 365-day unconditional return policy. Then there is the speed and quality of communication a company provides. Companies who display their phone number prominently on their site and respond quickly to inquiries via email or social media come across as considerably more trustworthy. Finally, providing information about your company itself that makes a big difference to perceived trust. About Us sections, case studies and even companies' postal addresses all make it clear that you're a reputable company and not some online scam. If you care about conversion rate optimization, you need to care about establishing trust between the user and yourself. Companies who are considered honest, transparent, and communicative enjoy a higher conversion rate over the long term. But trust is meaningless if you appear insensitive to users' needs and fixate on your own agenda. That's why it's important to address users' questions And that is why it's my last way of improving conversion rates. Conversion rate optimization is mostly about objection handling if you get right down to it. In other words, it's about understanding users' concerns and addressing them. That's why it's so important to understand the questions users have when they come to your website. Whenever seeking to improve conversion rates, you need to know what concerns people might have. For example, when signing up for a newsletter, people might have the following objections. Does this newsletter actually have anything of value that I care about? Will the number of emails they send become annoying over time? Is it going to be hard to unsubscribe if I don't like it? And will they sell my email address to other people? No doubt you're already aware of these many questions and concerns. However, as we've already learnt when we talked about mental models, we're not always as aligned to people's thinking as we might believe. With that in mind, it's crucial to carry out some user research to establish what those questions are in reality, what those concerns are. Top task analysis is one of the best research methodologies you can use to establish what concerns and questions users have about completing your call to action. That's because top task analysis does not only survey users about the questions that they have, but also helps you prioritize which of those questions are most important. The prioritization of user questions is crucial because, as we've already established, it's easy to overwhelm people. When users are forced to wade through vast amounts of secondary questions to find the answer that they're looking for, they're considerably more likely to give up. It's therefore vital to visually prioritize answers to critical questions that users have so that they can easily find them. Of course, it's not enough to merely know the questions that people have. We also need to provide compelling answers to reassure them. For example, on an e-commerce site, users are typically worried about delivery charges. And that's understandable as it can add a considerable amount to the cost of a product. We need to work hard to reassure them and that may involve including delivery charges in the price that we display on the site. What you should never do is hide bad news. I've encountered e-commerce sites that purposely conceal their delivery charge until later in the checkout process. And that's because they know that people tend to follow through if they start a process. Unfortunately, this ultimately undermines conversion as it erodes trust, as we discussed earlier, and also many users just give up because they can't find the delivery charge quickly. Addressing the real questions and concerns of users in an easily accessible way will go a long way to building trust. Together, these techniques show users that you care about them and you want them to have a good deal, and that will in turn improve conversion. But coming up with the design solution that does all of these things isn't easy. It's easy to create friction without even realizing it or to misunderstand what the user wants to know. Even the smallest element has the potential to undermine trust. That's why testing your solution is so important. We've already discussed how testing can help identify problems, but it can also be used to validate your proposed solution to those problems there will never be a single way of fixing a problem you encounter with conversion. And not all of those fixes will be equal. Some will perform better than others. And so it's essential to establish a culture of testing various uh, possible solutions to see which is best. Now, the preferred approach for conversion rate optimization is multivariant testing. Multivariance testing is sometimes known as split testing or A-B testing. It refers to the process of building multiple versions of a solution to identify a problem and then trialing each version with a subset of visitors. The approach that converts the best is then pushed live to all users. At face value, the idea of building multiple solutions might sound like a lot of work. But in truth, the variations between versions are often minor. You little things like small tweaks to copy, color, or styling. In fact, making more significant changes is normally a bad idea, as it's hard to tell what has affected the conversion rate and what and what has not. If you haven't run multivariate testing before, it isn't as hard as you might think, and it's actually quite easy to get started. I recommend using a tool called, uh, which is Google's free Optimize tool. To begin with, all you need to do is add some JavaScript to your website, and then the rest is managed through Google's interface, which I have to say is remarkably straightforward to use. That said, mastering the art of multivariant testing itself is much harder, and it qu- can become frustrating, especially if your website has got lower levels of traffic. And that's because um, it's hard to get enough conversions to prove definitively that one variation works better than another. You can mitigate this problem by limiting the number of variations you test, but that's not particularly desirable as more uh, variations tends to lead to a winner that exhibits a higher level of conversion. That said, what you choose to test can help on lower traffic websites. A good rule of thumb is to only test changes that have an immediate and direct impact on conversion. For example, the text on a call to action button is a good thing to test. That will have a much more visible effect on results than testing something more nuanced like headline styling. Also think hard about the metrics you want to increase when you run a test. Try to pick a metric that relates very closely to the element that you're editing. Imagine, for example, that you're testing variations of your add to cart button. In this case, you want to measure the number of clicks on the button, not the number of final orders placed. Another thing you can do if you've got lower traffic website is to test metrics that are not necessarily directly related to conversion, as only a fraction of your site users go on to convert. Instead, you can use metrics that influence conversion but happen a lot more often. For example, if your analytics show that users who visit a certain page are more likely to convert, you can focus on tests that encourage people to visit that page. In short, if you've got a lower traffic site, there's still a lot you can do with multivariate testing. But whatever your traffic levels, be careful when you use multivariate testing. It's a great tool and can prove very seductive. I've encountered companies who end up multivariate testing almost every decision that they make, and that's not always a good idea. It's, It's not really suited for resolving creative differences about how you should use certain typography, for example. Instead, focus on testing factors such as call to action, pricing and offering, headlines and prominent copy, imagery, forms, that kind of thing. That said, if you care about uh, conversion rate optimization, you have to be using multivariant testing, just as you also are going to need an ongoing program of usability testing. I couldn't do this podcast on conversion rate optimization without talking about the need for a program of ongoing usability testing. Look, I know I've already discussed the need for usability testing to identify problems, but it might not be clear that you also need to make it a regular part of your day-to-day operations. Too many companies that I come across carry out usability testing only as part of their build process and then abandon it once the site goes live. And that's a huge mistake if you're looking to uh, improve your conversion rate incrementally. Whenever you make a change to your site, there's a real danger you're going to introduce a usability hurdle that undermines conversion. Usability testing provides the opportunity to spot and fix these issues before they have too significant an impact. But more than that, ongoing usability testing allows you to gradually chip away at the points of friction on your site. My recommendation is to schedule one morning a month where you always do usability testing with just three participants. By only testing with three people, you keep it lightweight and ensure you can fit it all into a morning. Once the sessions are complete, meet again over lunch to discuss what you've learned and use that to plan possible fixes that you can validate through multivariate testing. But in between these monthly sessions, I also recommend more regular spontaneous testing using colleagues or people recruited via social media or using services like userzoom.com. I can guarantee that it will be worth the effort. So there you go. As I said earlier, a conversion rate optimization is a combination of methodology and instinct. As with so much, the devil is in the detail and there is only so much I can cover in this podcast, even though it's the longest one I've ever done. But hopefully I've given you enough to point you in the right direction. And if not, well, you can always hire me to help you out.